annual global risk report makes for a stunning and sobering read. For the global business community, the top concern for the next two years is not conflict or climate. It is disinformation and misinformation, followed closely by polarization within our societies. These risks are serious because they limit our ability to tackle the big global challenges we are facing. Changes in our climate and our geopolitical climate, shifts in our demography and in our technology, spiraling regional conflicts and intensified geopolitical competition and their impacts on supply chains. The sobering reality is that we are once again competing more intensely across countries than we have in several decades. And this makes the theme of this year's Davos meeting even more relevant, rebuilding trust. This is not a time for conflicts or polarization. This is a time to build trust. This is a time to drive global collaboration more than ever before. This requires immediate and structural responses to match the size of the global challenges. I believe it can be done. And I believe that Europe can and must take the lead in shaping that global response. Well, that's just part of the context that was set on the WEF stage. Ibrahim Rasul is the chair of the board of directors at DBSA. Mr. Rasul, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. No, good morning, Katia. I usually listen to you. It's a pleasure to speak to you at last. Oh, fantastic. Glad to hear that. Luvuyo Rani is the CEO, co-founder of Silulo Khani, rather. Apologies for that. Luvuyo Khani, CEO, co-founder of Silulo Uluto uh, Technologies. Luvuyo, good morning to you. Morning, 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 Kathy. I'm also a big fan of yours. Oh, great. Wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. So I think a good place to start would be setting a context but from a south african perspective i saw the release statement that came out of government um describing what uh, the experience to davos has been that you know it was a tough um time in that there were serious challenges that we're facing as a country but at the same time you have to infuse it with a bit of hope you have to infuse it with a sentiment that says that south africa should still be a destination of choice for investment. So, um, Mr. Rasul, let me begin with you. How would you say you, you were able to couch the South African message and, and what was the South African message? Well, thank you very much. I think I was very heartened on the first morning when we had a packed out um, stage at the Bloomberg's um, center and there was lots of standing people wanting to hear whether South Africa is turning the corner. And that by itself, uh, that curiosity was very important. Secondly, I think that we understood our priority was also to rebuild trust, not at the macro global level, but also at our micro level um, to rebuild trust in South Africa that we are back, we're, we're becoming a force for good again, and that we are getting our house in order. I think people needed to hear that 
before anything else could land. You couldn't speak about bankable projects until you've assured people that South Africa was again a force for good. I think we couldn't speak about the demographics of Africa, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement that exists as the major opportunity that would take a lot of money that is shy to be invested in the real economy globally and to say, here is a destination and your gateway to that destination is South Africa. And so I think we began to speak that language again that was not resonating um, for the last 10 years or so. And I think the interest that was shown by investors who came, who came to South Africa night, who came to ask about our things that we encountered and what, and, I, and I'll end on this note, what was also very happy um, of, of, of curiosity, positive and negative, was that when they saw the South African scarves, there were lots of people who came to comment about the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, some admiringly, some confused, some negative. But I think South Africa had gotten into the global glare again, and that made as a compelling uh, interlocutor at the World Economic Forum in Davos. You know, Mr. Russell, I find it interesting that you talk about just the sentiment of, of South Africa being being back from the perceived nine, ten wasted years. If memory serves correct, it was President Cyril Ramaphosa that would have made those comments um, on the Davos stage, actually, um, around about 20, 2019, there about 2020. Uh, you know, I, m- my memory might be off in terms of when exactly uh, those comments would have been made. But the point is that it's been about three, four years since then. Would you say that the world still sees South Africa as being stuck in the moment? Because, yes, it's good that the sentiment of South Africa being back, but being back from what? So I think it's back from having lost its kind of moral compass, being lost from being a force that stands again for its values um, and not only um, the micro interests that compete in South Africa. I think that the president did declare that after he was elected as president. I don't think the proof of the pudding was available. Um, I don't think you've had cases um, arising out of the Zondo. It's very slow still, but I think um, people are beginning to see whether there is enough traction. And I think that the economic reforms that I think we are busy with, the kind of um, infrastructure projects that would be the foundation of it, I think for the first time people were listening. And more importantly, the kind of narrative that says, um, Whatever problems you perceive in South Africa are your opportunities. So, for example, if you see load shedding, the kind of regulatory changes about renewable energy in South Africa now says to a global investor, why don't you come in? Because we have a problem, it's load shedding. We have a regulatory framework that says we will prioritize renewable energy. And if you have the investment in renewable energy, or the technology for renewable energy and the appetite to come in, there is a market for you. The same with our water problems or other people's opportunities. The same with our infrastructure problems that we perceive are the opportunities for investors in, um, in the world. And I think that that is 
the kind of critical transition in our messaging that I think we are going, we are not going there to say, oh, our problems are so severe. No, our problems are your opportunities. Luvuyo, it's also important that individuals like yourself are part of the delegation, um, particularly coming out of the technology space, because I, I don't think there's any denying of the direction that the world is moving in, the role that technology is going to be playing going into the future. Um, for somebody like you, firstly, let's talk about the experience, but then how do you, as a local business person, um, position yourself, not only from a networking perspective, but also what you put on the table for what South Africa also has to offer the opportunities technology-wise? Well, I mean, it's been, for me, it's one of the best Davos. I mean, it's the second Davos I've attended. I was in 2018 with the president that year, and then it was the beginning. Now, I mean, Davos can do all me. So when you go there first time, it's just like I am, amazing experience and kind of like you kind of feeling yourself small in this kind of world now so by the second one i think because i've been part of this global community and understand in terms of how and i was probably prepared so well now so this time i was fortunate enough so i was part of the three panels speaking so the panel i speak it was a un's panel speaking about social economy that like probably social I mean, solidarity economy that they are pushing in the world and they want african and South, South Africa to be part of that. And I think it's a space that I work with in the space of social entrepreneurs because we've got many social entrepreneurs, but there's no entity called social entrepreneur. So the kind of world now is recognizing that there's a huge opportunity in that space now. So as I was part of the um, speaker speaking from South Africa, speak from a continent in terms of how that can unlock the opportunity now. And also I was speaking in this panel with India um, on the gender, climate and equity. So to say what work we are doing in terms of the employment, the women that we work with now. So I was sharing the journey and experiences that South Africa, how it works now. It was a good set to set on internet because we have Brazilian, we've got Indian, we've also got US and also, um, and then the minister of India around that now. So it was a good panel. And the last panel, which is where you talk about it, is a panel which is with, was with Microsoft and, and EY and SAP. The key deputy president of Microsoft, we I was invited to share the work we do in South Africa in terms of like uh, working with people um, around access to technology and the work on AI, because the big thing around Davos was AI. So how, I mean, Africa's AI, the impact, and if nothing has been looked at, we've been left out. And I ask, I mean, through that, and I share that we've been doing this for 20 years. And the key part now for us, Africa, is to make sure that we reskill the population because the impact is going to be dire and people are going to lose jobs, especially the retributive job that is going to take place now. And the only way that they have to be just to reskill people to make sure that they are not being left behind, because what I'm getting and sensing in the Davos, they are saying that the country that they're not, not being able to um, do anything around AI, they're going to miss out in this kind of wave that is taking place now. So, I mean, it was I mean so great to extend that, looking and say that, how can we, as a last again, we're able to pioneer that so that we can pioneer in Africa and even in Sadek. And there was kind of a great um, reception, which is good, where it says that we need to collaborate, we need to partner in, in enables that to do that. And there's also a realization that um, the, the government it will take longer, and then the private sector with the local partners would be ideal to achieve that. 
when you talk about um, you know the need that there is for digital learning and skills development, I think it goes to the heart of the kind of economy that we want to build for this country and the skills that we make available um, within this economy. Ibrahim, um, do you do you believe that we're there yet? I mean, are we at a point where we are structuring our economy, structuring the needs and the skills that we produce around what the future needs, not what we drew up as would-be needs for 2024, five, ten years ago? You know, as... We're speaking here on radio. There's a discussion taking place at the Development Bank of Southern Africa about how we learn from the transition to a green economy and don't make the same mistakes and leave 2,000 people at Nkomati in limbo while our plans for a um, renewable plant um, happens. We must learn, because Lubuyo is absolutely correctly, we have to front-end the issue of upskilling, reskilling, and skilling um, our people to be ready for this economy. And you know, the points that we made in Davos was very important because Africa as a continent has a habit of jumping technologies. We jumped from the drum to the cell phone and didn't have so many fixed lines. We jumped from um, counting on our fingers to, um, to, to, to laptops. And so there is a perception that Africa is not held back by preceding technologies and that we are ready and that our young people were banking on phones before America um, could get there and they were still using checkbooks. And so there is this belief that our youngsters are capable of enormous adaptation because they are not captured by previous technologies. So that's the first thing. The second thing All right. is... Uh, the... Ibrahim, I'm going to pause you there. I'll give you a chance to continue in a moment. Sorry no for that interruption. It's just after 10, 11.30, rather. It's time for the latest news headlines. We'll continue this conversation shortly. on SAFM. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We've been looking at the World Economic Forum in particular, uh, South Africa's contribution to conversations there. What is it really um, that we were presenting or selling to the world as opportunities? Ibrahim Rasul is chair of the board of directors at DBSA and Luvuyo Khani is the CEO and co-founder of Silulo Uluto Technologies. They're both on the line. So, Ibrahim, you were still sort of breaking down how we bring um, these concepts, ideas that um, are very much where the direction that the world is moving in for the future, how we bring them into our economy today, how we um, help them actually find expression within our local policy? Look, I think that the issue that I was coming on to is that if we perfect as much as what we can the African Continental Free Trade Agreement and we have one tax regime, one tariff regime, um, a logistical seamlessness across Africa, can you imagine how with a at least 600 million middle class, for example, Mm. E-commerce would take off. Already in Cape Town, we are seeing the AWS, the Amazon um, data centers that are being prepared. Um, we've seen this Netflix coming in very quickly. Um, 
And, and I think that that together with the general services industry has the opportunity to bring in the next generations of young South Africans and Africans for that matter um, into the digital economy. Um, I think our problem is going to be the reskilling and the upskilling of those who have um, learned all their things from the old economy. And most importantly, we're going to have to strengthen, the, like in Lubuyo's case, we're going to have to strengthen the entrepreneurial muscle of South Africans. We can't stand passively and be um, outsales by other Africans coming in. Um, we've got to be able to get our South Africans looking for opportunities within this new economy mm. and uh, really moving forward. Luvuyo, you know, it's 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 easy to sort of talk about big ideas of, of what the future can be. But when we take into account our reality, South Africa with the high inequality levels that we have means that even when it comes to a conversation that includes technology, the digital divide in our country um, will fall mostly along the lines of what we have with, with inequality. What kind of challenge does that present? So, I mean, it, it, it kind of presents a lot of challenges. I mean, like, um, especially on any, many, many young people who want to start their businesses. I mean, the, one of the biggest challenges is um, lack of teacher skills and lack of just business skills now. That makes it for many entrepreneurs to struggling to run their business because most business now, they have to have an element of tech in any business and now. We've moved away from a traditional business now. So if you do not have a part of the tech element and understanding that, it becomes difficult to operate in that space around the business. That's one part now. The second, I mean, like um, um, part is like I mean, um, a mindset that we have to kind of develop it in many South Africans. In, I mean, where we say we have what it takes we're not able to just run our, our enterprise just to eat. We have to build it and we have to see abundance more than scarcity because at the moment, because of the poverty, it makes us to run these businesses on a scarcity mindset to extend that we're not able to achieve now. And then the third one, it's a safety net that um, we start from zero. Most more many businesses that are coming in, especially big business, start from zero. That has become difficult for any entrepreneur now to start the business because there's no support, there's no funding, there's no collateral that they can go with and use it in the bank to able to access to the funding now. And that has to be looked. And then the last one, we have non-destruction business, which doesn't have to deal with any business like uh, crime, extortion, protection fee, um, uh, load shedding, and the problem around strike that happening in informal areas. So those are kind of like four areas that becomes a barrier for many, I mean, up, I mean, entrepreneurs that I want to come in and start the business because of they facing this kind of challenges they're facing. Do you think that we, as a country, are doing enough to actually support these entrepreneurs? Because, um, you know, I hear Ibrahim on the point mm. that is making around South Africans needing to strengthen their entrepreneurial muscle. Yeah. But the reality yeah. is that we don't have a short of. Uh, at least a policy position that says mm. that it supports entrepreneurs, but a lived reality that is very different from that. Yeah, no, I mean, by um, premier, I, I, I mean, we met last year at a school conference in Oxford, and he was passionate about the subject and still continuing 
I saw, I mean, like, kind of amazed when I see Premier in terms of putting that, that the, the, the way he put it now. But in reality, there, there's so much talk about these things. I mean, there's a talk about, I mean, we need to drive this uh, entrepreneurship in every ministry, but on the ground, there's nothing in terms of, like, creating the, 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 that environment. Now, we do have CSCDAs, we do have CFAs, but it doesn't go down to where it's supposed to go because of the location where it is and also the access and, and the information now. So it has to change now. Hence, even for me, I, I transitioned to be a CEO of Cellulo to start with the foundation. So I work now with the entrepreneurs. I'm saying I've been doing this for 20 years. I understand in terms of what it takes. And it, it, it's my responsibility now to bring that entrepreneurs. So we need kind of not only from a government point of view, but also we need kind of the entrepreneurs, the leaders in the areas to also take that and also to bring to the conversation with the government, with the big business, and say that we all can be able to change this thing now, not the approach that government know it all. It has to be a collaboration of all the partners. Do you think there'll be more of, of an effort, Ibrahim, to, to do that, to meet people where they are? So whether it's the portion of the population that needs to be um, reskilled or upskilled, um, whether it's digital learning that needs to be taking place in, in schools, whether it's entrepreneurs that, that need you know greater access, uh, that need doors to be open to them. Do you think that they, there is a sense of where the problems are and, and, and what is needed for, for those solutions? You know, if I was the government minister at Davos and heard where the world is going, with the kind of artificial intelligence and with technology and all of those things, I would come to South Africa and return to South Africa with some trepidation because we are fighting basic things. And so our scandals about NASFAS are about money going missing and um, people misusing their positions. The real battle for NASFAS is how can we direct education resources to anticipate the future. We're not saying cut out the BAs and cut out all of those. There's a place for that because a society needs its soul. But a society needs to compete globally. And so how do we prioritize, um, um, for example, scholarships for the tech industries, for the digital economy, for entrepreneurship? Now, you see, we need a whole of society approach, as Lubuyo said. Government doesn't have all the answers. Government is the memory stick that you push in and pull out. The, 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 the hard drive is somewhere else. And it's the hard drive that must help us in this whole of society approach and where we all share risks. The one doesn't try to push all the risk to government or government doesn't try to say private sector take the risk. We must share this risk pool our resources, and most importantly, direct it into the areas that anticipate the future so that when the future arrives, we are not caught with our pants down. And and that's really going to be um, the the risk that countries and individuals face going forward, right? That you're caught on the back foot of all of these changes. It's going to be much harder to catch up then than to simply develop at a pace that will meet the need and the demand uh, that will arise in future. Absolutely. And it also goes for the ethical guardrails of some of these technologies. I think that... Um, 
some of these technologies like artificial intelligence in the wrong hands um, will be devastating. Um, people are already self-medicating, mm, according mm, to Google. Mm. People are making destructive weapons according to what they can gather on online. So if government is not going to be proactive in putting in place with the whole of society the ethical and moral guardrails that will direct all of this change, that will also say that our values of Ubuntu must also apply and therefore as the new technologies come in, we must leave no one behind. I really think um, I came from Davos really um, anxious that we are going to go into an election, we're going to fight personality, party, and other issues, but the real substantive stuff may be um, left behind, and then we'll postpone it, but the world does not postpone its advance. Yeah, very important points that that you're making there, uh, Ibrahim. I want to take some of our contributions uh, from our listeners. Good, good morning, um, Kathy. You know, everything that, that Mr. Rasul is saying, there's all wonderful, all positive. But Kathy, if you don't have a government that's competent, don't have, if, you, if you have a corrupt government, you know, if you have doctors, I don't know if it's not doctors, but if you have doctors sitting at home and we need doctors, for example. So that, that kind of efficiency and effectiveness is not there. So, so this whole Davos conversation, it's just, it, 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 it doesn't land for me. It doesn't land for me because there's still so a lot of small things that we need to sort out first. I mean, it's just the, the above mentioned, it's just, it's, it's, it's a pandemic. We need to sort out first. Thank you. Good morning, good morning, Kathy. How are you, Mafuta? Kathy, this uh, World Economic Forum, for me, it doesn't benefit us as Africans, but rather it's a forum to further industrialize the uh, industrial countries, uh, industrialized countries. I would wish one day if African countries come together with an African Economic Forum to discuss or to, to for example, Kathy, the exportation of, of raw materials to Africa to, 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 to European countries. In a way, for me, Kathy, exporting raw materials is exporting the means of production. That's all. Kathy, why Africans can we not have our own African Economic Forum? All right. Uh, those are just some of the views. Unfortunately, it's all I have time for. Uh, so I can't take any more than that. Uh, so, Ibrahim, then for you in 30 seconds, what is the message that you come out of Davos with? I want to say that the world is moving on. The world is generally uncertain and therefore we need to rebuild trust. South Africa is particularly uncertain. And we have a history and people have the right to be skeptical about government. But the fact of the matter is we can't put our aeroplane in the hangar and fix it. We've got to fix it while we fly it. All right. Luvuyo? Yeah, no, I mean, just to say um, this momentum for Davos that we came in, I hope we, I mean, copy the Nigerian. They had a good night at the Davos and they kind of put their Nigerian um, and on the map. And, and as we are going to host next year G20, and I hope that we could be ready and, and seize that opportunity because it comes once and it's an opportunity that we could use it from this Davos. Thank you so much.
All right. Thank you so much for your time, Luvuyo Khani and Ibrahim Rasul. They're part of the delegation that uh, was out in Davos. That's why I leave it for this morning on The Talking Point. We're back with you again tomorrow. Uh, for now, we leave you with the book reading.